Good morning. All right. We're going to be starting in two weeks. We're doing something. You know how you go to movie theaters and you see the, the movies and they have the original and then they deal with sequels and prequels? Well, we're going to kind of do that. We're going to start with the end of this Easter series on Easter. And then we're going to go back and do the beginning. We're going to do it in the reverse order. And it was partially to work with the, how things had changed in our schedule. We were going to do it before and then do gifting after. And I thought, you know, with all the change, it would make more sense to do it this way. So that's what we're going to do, just to let you know about that. Um, if you have uh, the handouts right at the back, you can follow along through that. You can follow along on the screen or your phone. And if you have the free app called Uversion, there is a section that you can get to called Live Events. It's in the bottom right corner under More. And I will tell you, if you are a live user, that you're going to want to get the update that comes Monday or Tuesday for that app because the whole app is going to change. and It's going to um, really expand the capability of what we can do with that app so that the following week, if you don't have the update, you'll be asked to update it because it, it just won't work anymore, but they have a whole bunch of new possibilities. So I'm just giving you that in advance. If you're the online technical kind of person, that's the way it's going to change and it's going to be excellent. Um, at the back, we have the, the, the little white box. The little white box is our communication box. That's where you can put in um, your, your, um, the side of your, your handout. You pull it out if you want to fill out visitor information, contact information, update, that sort of stuff. If you want to connect with someone and say, I'm interested in somebody praying with me or I want to get baptized or any kind of conversation, we can put it in there. It's also the same place that you put your offering. There's envelopes at the back to do that so you can make sure you get your tax deduction. Um, and you can also give online if you'd like to do that at intoone.ca. You can click on the Donate Now button. And for those of you who were asking previously, we now have the form set up for direct debit. So if you would prefer to do that through your bank directly, we can handle that one as well now. Just ask me for a form and we'll get you set up with that. All right. Do you know what today is? Yeah, it is Sunday. That's, that is true. Um, I was sort of forgetting where we were because we, we, we've adjusted this date a couple of times in our lives, but the way this date works out, today is the Sunday before Palm Sunday. Five years ago today, understanding that Easter moves, but five years ago today was the first day that we met in this building. This is technically our fifth birthday, and I cannot believe the gift that God got us this year. It is pretty spectacular. We have been doing a fair amount of work in this uh, new building that we have been given. Things have changed. If you haven't been here since the first weekend, if you haven't been there since the January 3rd service, man, you're not going to believe it. If you, if you were there last Saturday, not this one, but the one before, and you saw so much, what's happened since then you're not going to believe it. There's all kinds of things that have been going on. We'd love for you to come and see it if you would like to do that. And again, we're saying our first service will be Good Friday there. So we have a lot to do to get ready still for that time. So if you have time somewhere that you can plot us in for a little bit of something to get us set up, that'd be fantastic. But incredible things are happening. This is the gift that God is giving to us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't pursue it. We weren't dreaming about it. And yet God said, you've been praying that your territory would be expanded and you've been praying that I would provide for you. So here, go, get to work, step up. 
And it's fantastic to see what you have done and what God is doing for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So thank you for the participation that we've already seen um, with time donations, with equipment, with, uh, with finances. You, you've been doing an incredible job. It's incredibly encouraging. You need to know some of those things because you don't get to see them all. I get to sort of watch most of the stuff cross over, and it's been fantastic. So thank you very much. We're not done yet. It is going to be a while before we're going to be able to say done, perhaps never, just like us. We'll never be done, right? But we don't want the focus to be on what the building will be. We want the focus to be on what we will use the building for. This is very important. So we need enough to get us going, but then we need you because you're the ones who make the church come to life. That is the essence. We use that building as a housing ground, a staging ground for what you do. And we're excited to see how some of those doorways open, which works perfectly because we're in this series called The Gifted. And the gifted we've been studying, this is our eighth week now, looking at spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, gifts that God gave us so that we would be able to serve Him well, to serve each other well, and to build up the body, to build each other up. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, so we're going to continue that today, and I just want to bring you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've looked at this passage a number of times, but I just wanted to highlight because our, uh, our gifts that we're going to look at today are in this passage again. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Now the exciting thing is that as you listen to that, we have talked about almost all of those so far. We've come a long way. We've done a, a number of those things, and that is our refresher to remind us, first of all, they come from God. He decides who gets what. He's the one who puts it in place, and it's all part of the thing that the puzzle that he's putting together, the tapestry that he's weaving is woven through you, partnership with us, always in partnership with us. So today we're going to start with the spiritual gift of faith. And to make it simple, what I'd like to say is that faith is simply informed trust. This is not saying, I hope this is true. We're not going, oh man, I really hope that'd be great if it was. This is trust in a living person who has proven himself time and time and time again. It's not blind, it is informed. It is based on character. So his written word and even his situational promptings are trustworthy. He does not lead us into places that we should not go. He does not lead us into places that he will not go with us. He remains consistent in his character because of who Jesus is, we can trust what he says, and even what he does, even when we don't like what he's doing, when we don't understand the full package, we're in a moment where we say, I don't like the way things have gone, we can still trust Jesus. His character does not change. His desire is the same, and it is always to build us up. He promises, and what he promises, he fulfills. It's part of the trust relationship. Sometimes we have to wait for those things, but he doesn't change his mind on those things. What he has promised, he will do. 
And we are very much about the idea of faith and very much about the idea of helping you, us, to grow in our faith and to have you help those around you in the development of their faith. This is a central part of what we believe Into One Community Church is about, faith development. And to, and to focus on that, we have highlighted in the past, and I'll highlight them briefly for you again today, our five faith catalysts. We believe that everything we do is sort of designed to help us grow in faith so that we can trust God more, live that out. And so we focus on a couple of things. The first one, practical teaching. We believe that the message of God should be lived. It should not be thought. That's not the right way to say that. It should be thought and lived, not simply thought about. It's not something for you to simply consider. It is something to very much apply in the midst of a very mucky, sticky world. How does what God teaches us live out? How do we make this thing come to life? Private disciplines. That's the second thing. We believe that for you to grow in your faith, you must have something to work with. And so um, developing a prayer life, developing personal worship, developing um, Bible reading time, your own study, your own development, your own nurturing there, having the, uh, the possibility to flex your generosity muscles. These are private disciplines that enable us to be grounded and enable faith to go around us. Personal ministry is next. We believe that God gave us the gift of other people's needs. We get to fill in other people's needs. And this has been a beautiful thing about where Into One is right now. When we have this building, you say, wow, massive gift. And what we were you know, struggling with at the beginning is massive responsibility. Can we handle all of this? And what's been beautiful is watching other people thanking God for their opportunity to help us. Like that, that's not the way it sounds like we work, right? Most people are about acquiring for me, get for me, I'll take more. But people are actually thanking us for the opportunity that we have given them to meet a need. This is the way that God works. That's one of the great ways to know that God is involved because people are saying godly things. That's godly character coming out, thankful for the opportunity to meet a need. And I know that that's true in my life as well. When I get to do that for somebody else, I like it. And sometimes we say, well, it's no big deal. All I did was give you a couple of lemons. But those lemons were significant at that time. And the lemons were bigger than lemons. And that was the, the, the fun thing about being involved with what God is doing. Our personal ministry is an incredible way to connect with God and with each other. And that directly relates to the idea of us using our gifts. Okay? The next thing would be providential relationships. We believe that God is going to, has already, and will bring people into your life. Sometimes it will be an extended relationship the rest of your life. Sometimes it will be a moment in time and you'll say, there was just that one Thursday afternoon when I met this guy and he, he said something to me and it connected in that moment and I'll never ever forget it. God brings about these things providentially. He brings people in. We prepare ourselves to be ready to receive from those people and also to give to those people. You might never know that you were the guy in the Thursday afternoon that just did that little bit, that made the difference, and God was working at the same time, and the connection was divine. We believe in the power of providential relationships. We also believe in pivotal circumstances, that there will be moments in your life when there's pivotal things that happen. And by pivotable, pivotable, what I mean is that it can go either way. 
You're on this razor-sharp edge. And you have the opportunity to respond to that circumstance and walk away from God and never look back. To say, if that's the way things are going to be, if that's the way you are, then I'm done. I'm leaving the whole package. I'll never come back. I'm sick and tired of it. And we've heard these stories many times. But because they're pivotal circumstances, there's also the possibility to be at that same point and say, God, I see more clearly than I ever have. Now, instead of blaming you for what you don't do, I can see what I can do. I can be involved. I can make a difference. I will give my life to making a difference in this area. And what we need is a body, a community to come around us and to help us translate circumstances. Sometimes when we're in the moment, that when the pain hits, all we think about is the pain. We can't see beyond that. And that's not wrong. That's just the way life is. We need someone else to come around us to remind us of a larger picture. To, to, to paint it as part of the whole thing. The way I like to say it is always, eyes up. I, I don't need to condemn you for what you're doing wrong. What I need to do is to show you what it could be like. To show you again what it's like to connect with Jesus. This is all part of our faith, our faith development. When you met Jesus for the very first time, when he became part of your story, you were involved in a faith event. Something happened there. We want you to be involved in places and in habits that will enable your faith development. None of this has to do with the gift of faith. This is just faith, and it's central to what we all are part of. Hebrews 11, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards, rewards those who earnestly seek Him. When you came in, when you met with Jesus, that was the first part of faith in your story. But faith is central to what we believe. It's central to who we are. And so another important passage that talks about faith is Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And we struggle for the rest of our lives trying to accept our relationship with Jesus without trying to earn it without trying to do a little bit more, to do a little bit better, so that He will be happier with me. It is a struggle to believe that what we have been given is simply a gift. And because of the gift, we respond by a life of sacrifice. We don't respond with a life of sacrifice to get God to save us or to get God to like us. It's the opposite. So if you're a Christian, you've had a faith encounter. If you're not a Christian, then you have something to look forward to because a faith encounter will transform the way you live. It'll open up things that you never thought were possible, give you a view and a vision that is unlike what you've ever had. You have chosen to move your trust. You've chosen to move your faith from yourself. You've moved it from another religion. You've moved it maybe from another worldview. You've moved your trust from whatever has happened in your past. And you have declared to heaven to us and to the world, I will not trust anything but Jesus alone. Salvation is the exact opposite of religion. Religion, no matter which one, says trust in others. Trust in what you can do. Trust in you. Trust in the universe. Trust in the spirits. Trust in the, the cards. Trust in the crystals. Trust in the system. Trust the traditions and you'll be okay. 
Our faith is trust in Jesus alone, by his work alone, in his word alone, for we, have, we will never have enough of what we can do to ever give us what we need to get close to God. We can never bridge the gap between us and a holy, loving God. And that's why Jesus came for us. He came because there was nothing that we could do to ever get back to him. That is the heartbeat of our faith. The faith that we describe as some people would say is our religion. Our faith is in God alone. That's for all of us. Again, this is not about the gift of faith. This is establishing that faith is central to what we believe. Trusting God, trusting his character, trusting his revealed will. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this, and I found this to be helpful. Faith is not a natural instinct. It's not a feeling. Feelings don't help when you're in a lion's den or you're dying on a wooden cross. Faith is not inferred either from happy ways things work out. It is an act of the will. It is a choice based on the unbreakable word of God that does not lie, who shows us in its written word that what love and obedience and sacrifice means all in the person of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called to faith. Every one of us, if we are Christian, has encountered faith. But the spiritual gift is different than those two things. Here's a couple of definitions to help you figure this part out. The gift of faith is that special ability that God gives certain Christians to discern with extraordinary confidence that the will and purpose of God will work out. The gift of faith refers to the unusual capacity of a person to recognize in a given situation that God intends to do something and to trust God for it until it's actually brought to pass. The gift of faith is a spiritual ability given to see what God wants done and to sustain unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. This gift is the heart of our church. Sometimes these people, they get written off as kind of emotional, somewhat naive, but they're not. They are God-inspired, faith-filled people, the lifeblood of a local church to make it different than the Lions Club must always be faith. Faith not in itself, but faith in our God. Many of you would like to believe in this kind of way, but because of your history, because of your personal loss, because of past unmet expectations, because of your struggles with a church or the church, People have made you cautious. They have made you defensive. They have enabled you to raise walls. You are protective of yourself. You have become jaded and maybe even unbelieving, but wishing, wishing that you too could have a faith like these other people seem to have. But God gives this gift, and he implants it in people. And he enables those people to spill over to people around them so that heaven's blessings and unnatural confidence seem to flow from them. 
and the people near them are, are impacted by this as well. But don't forget that the purpose of faith, the reason why we're here is not to have faith in faith. I just need to believe. Believing is what I need to do. We have faith in God towards the end of God's glory. That's the point. That's where it goes. It's not simply to say, I believe strongly. You can believe strongly in anything. It doesn't make it good. We believe strongly in God and that He is at work within us. And His purposes will therefore be achieved. We have the faith that focuses on God, not faith in faith. It's not, I believe, therefore things must happen for me. The gift of faith always brings God's glory out. It reveals it. It was always there, but it unmasks it. It uncovers what was underneath there, and it reveals what God intends to do. The gift of faith among us can be used to exhort, to, to, to call the whole church forward. It helps people to pray, to believe when belief in general is waning. And in our culture and in this climate, it's incredibly easy to let faith just diminish because things are hard. Taxes are probably going to go up. Can you believe what that politician, regardless of what party they're part of, did? Can you believe that? Our whole world is going to... And it's hard to have faith that God is somehow bigger, larger, undergirding the whole package because we see details on the surface that cause us to question. Faith can help individuals to meet a crisis in their life or to help a whole community to deal with a crisis that they might be facing. It's also there to fulfill the inspirational function of leadership. That leadership has a function because it is focused on Jesus, and faith in Him opens the door. And much of the time, those with this gift of leadership will often see that they have, or within their close circle, there will be someone with the gift of faith to cement that post, that anchor that other people will draw from later. So here's a couple of symptoms of faith so you can decide if this sounds like you. You have an unusual desire to accept God's given promises at face value and apply them to given situations until God fulfills them. You have received what you believe to be as a vision of a future work of God, and you trust in God until it comes to pass. You have seen these things come to pass. You have a recurring experience in the midst of situations to sense God is about to do something unusual. Even though everyone around you has no kind of assurance at all, you have a sense this will not just go the way that all things go. You have an unusual drive to know God in His fullness and to be cast upon Him and Him alone for your solutions to problems. That doesn't stress you like it seems to stress others. You love the thrill of knowing that time and time again, God is real because He and He has specifically in detailed ways intervened on your behalf, and you can recall these stories. They are there for you to pull back out. You have an attitude like this. It says, not only can God do something, but He will do something. And in many cases, you know that God has already done it, and you're just waiting to see it revealed. Many of you, I believe, have this gift, but you didn't know that it was a gift. It's one of those things because it's so innate to you you just thought that all Christians 
We're like that in some way. And as, as your pastor, I want to reassure you that that is not the case. All Christians are not like you. You have a gifting. One of the best historic examples of faith, you know, there's, there's tons of them throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. Faith is everywhere throughout history. There's, there's, uh, there's so many. But one of the ones that's probably the most famous, um, and maybe, I'm, I'm sure that some of you have heard of a guy named George Mueller. Yes? Anyone know George Mueller? No, sorry. Well, see, this is the problem. Um, history fades stories like this. They, they, uh, they diminish. They decrease. And we obscure them with a focus in history that's based in conflict. That all that matters in history is what went wrong. There was a battle and somebody lost and somebody won. And these are the historical moments that we remember. These are the ones that are marked down. But George Mueller, well, if you don't know him, incredible story. You, you really must read about him. Just about any book that will teach you about faith will tell you a reference, at least, to George Mueller um, and his ministry. He ministered by faith in Bristol, England. He lived between 1805 and 1898. And in that time, he ran an orphanage, and he cared for over 10,000 orphans, 60 years. In that time, remember the age, he received gifts of 5 million pounds given to him. He began to work. The idea was, let's do this. In his pocket were two shillings. He did this. This happened without ever once publishing his need. He never said, this is what we're trying to do, trying to raise funds. There was no capital campaign. There was no campaign. There was just doing it. This is historically accurate. It has been verified and tested time and again because there are many who would like to remove the story of George Mueller from being significant because these kind of things don't really happen. We shouldn't ever plan like this because it's just not practical. Without ever doing an appeal, he received money enough to buy five large homes, feed 2,000 orphans on a regular basis. So 10,000 over 60 years, but at any given time, there could be 2,000 that he was dealing with. Day by day, there would be no food in the pantry. They would start the day by thanking God for the food that was not there. And every single day, every single meal, food would show up. 60 years. Once when he was in his 70s, he's on a, he's on a trip, on a boat, crossing the Atlantic on his way to Canada. Woohoo! Canada's in the history. Um, the transatlantic sea captain that's been managing this boat is losing his mind. They're, they're, they're outside of, of Newfoundland. They're sort of off the coast of Newfoundland there. But the, the fog is intense. It's incredibly thick. And they've sort of been still. The, the, the captain has been up in the bridge working for 22 hours. 22 hours they have been in thick, dense fog. He's exhausted. He's, he's um, worried. He's um, stressed sort of to the end. And as he's in the bridge, suddenly this 70-something-year-old man comes in and taps him on the shoulder. And that is George Mueller. And it, this senior gentleman, he comes up to the captain. And again, think of how weird that would be. You're kind of in emergency mode, and a 70-year-old man just sort of pops into the bridge, the locked-up kind of area. Dense fog, no sleep, 22 hours, all stress. 
And he comes to him and he says, Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This is Wednesday. And from where they were, this was still a significant amount. So when the captain hears that, he says, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, buddy. It's not going to be. And Mueller replied, and the captain remembers this incident so well. He wrote it down because it, it caught his attention so significantly. He said, well, well, sir, if your boat cannot get me there, then God will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. What can I do to help? Why don't we pray? The captain says, Mr. Mueller, sir, uh, thank you. Do you not see how dense the fog is around us? It is completely unsafe for us to go forward. And his response was, sir, my eye does not see the fog. My eye is not on the fog. My eye is on my God who controls the fog. And every circumstance in my life. Seven-year-old man drops to his knees at that point. And the word that the captain wrote in was drops. He doesn't the dropping doesn't matter. I just thought it's significant. Seven years old, drops down, and he starts to pray. And what was most noticeable, most noticeable about this was the what he prayed. Because the captain, when he's writing the story, says, in my mind, this was the simplest of prayers, like that of a nine-year-old boy. So he doesn't come out with the fire and power. There's not calling down, oh God. If you would remove the fog in five minutes, I will know the engagement is for you. Amen. Then he stands up and he puts, his, he puts his hand on the captain's shoulder right away. And don't, you don't pray. You don't need to pray. So the captain's all ready to go. And he goes, sir, first of all, you do not believe that God will do it. And second, I believe that he already has, so there's no need for you to pray for it anymore. Captain, go open the door. You'll find that the fog is gone. The captain opened the door. The fog was gone. Mueller kept the engagement there, became famous, his engagement in Quebec City. And he later wrote in his journal, in beautiful humility, it pleased the Lord to give me, in some cases, something like a gift of faith so that I could unconditionally ask and always look for his answer. Something like a gift of faith, occasionally. Remarkable story. This is one in a long life. Incredible stories. And I don't know about you, but I love these stories. But what we do, we find that they do disappear from history. That they don't come out. That no one tells them. There was no death in this story. No one was bludgeoned. There was no war that needed to be fought. But we reduce them to history. And we reduce them to the past, as in not the present, not my future, definitely not in my life. Those great stories, we come away saying, I wish that would happen again. Why doesn't things like this? Wouldn't it be great if God would do this? And then we move on to do the same sorts of things that we always do. We spend our time with my work. We spend the time with my plans and my schedule and my family, my vacation, my tastes, my preferences. My goodness, why would they ever do that? That's the way we govern. That's the way we live. That's the way we look around us. But I need to declare for me and for you 
that I am not willing for us to be a church with the history that we have already had to keep on trying so hard to be what some other place is or what some other place has done or is doing. God has a vision for us that is distinct to us. He is the one who is at work through everything that we do. We can learn from lots of other people, but we are not here to simply try and do what somebody else has done. And so my call to you is, is this you? Is this your gift? Could you be the next George Mueller that for this church and this time, that you would be able to have that level of faith that he has given you to call us forward? Who would be that person with selfless, radical faith? that can call us forward. You call the stories of Caleb before they were about to go into the, the promised land. Caleb came back and said, of course we can go in. But the, the, the other ten said, no, it's too hard to get there. There's giants. There's too much adversity. We can't do it. We need somebody with the gift of faith. Whether they're a leader in a position of authority or whether they're not, to be hope-filled and to share that, that confidence to lend us that steadfastness, that unwavering, full of unnatural peace. We need that because as a culture, we are a doubting, system-focused, westernized, strategic planned community. We believe that is the end. We believe that's how we'll get what we need. And I think that God is waiting to call us to so much more. And so we say, oh God, release us to follow your call and your leading, no matter how much it might differ from what we know or what we're familiar with or what we're even comfortable with. Is this you? Do you have the gift of faith? Oh, how we need you. Very much related to the second gift that we're going to look at today, and that's the spiritual gift of the discernment of spirits. An awesome gift. All of these gifts are fantastic. We started way back when with gifts that were fantastic. Each one is, is, is amazing in its own way. Boil this one down. And it's a God-given ability to let us know truth, error, or evil. It's not about the surface. It's about the source. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand the difference there? It doesn't matter if it, if it appears bizarre or irregular, or not normal, or unconventional. That doesn't matter. It's where did it come from. So same deal as before. Everyone is called to be discerning, um, to listen for God's direction, and in growing measure to do that. We are not all called um, to have this gift. We are called to grow in our understanding, our understanding of what's non-negotiable. Um, we're called to know the Word of God so that we would be able to discern more easily. Every Christian is called to give one's full allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone to allow His truth, the Scriptures, the Spirit to permeate our lives and to walk, therefore, in heaven-given power and insight. We are all called to be rooted in the living Word of God and to hear Him through His written Word. So you've got to know it. You've got to have some of it to be able to hear Him in it. Hebrews chapter 5, it says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Wouldn't that be great if you could say that was you? Through constant use, you have been trained to be able to distinguish good from evil. 
that all means it didn't just happen. Every one of you, myself included, are called to be rooted in the written Word of God so that we would know that we know that we know that we know what is good and what is not. Acts chapter 17, Luke wrote it this way. He said, Now the Berean Jews were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What a great description of people who are engaging, not distrusting Paul, doing what we've all been called to do. Test. Test and see. Be involved in that part. That's discernment. To weigh it. 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That means there are all kinds of times when we will see things that it is possible to say God did those things. That doesn't mean that God did those things. Everything must be tested, not vilified, just examined. What is the source that this came from? Not what's on the surface, not just what we see. Where did it come from? So in this context, John is saying um, through the Scriptures, everyone, no matter whether you like it or not, whether you are comfortable or not, we live in a supernatural world, and we are called to discern. We're called to see, to test, to examine all supernatural experiences, all of them, because there are many false prophets, either empowered by unholy spirits or empowered by themselves that have gone out into the world. They are there. They need to be sifted and sorted through. So if you, I was going to say don't forget, but maybe you have no idea. The context of 1 John, 1 John is being written to, um, to deal with a problem of Gnosticism, Gnostics, and we won't go through the whole thing about that, but the idea of Gnosticism was that um, there's a lot of secret knowledge, and there are different levels of attainment and experience and enlightenment, and you won't get it until you move to the next level. And so that they would use this kind of talk to say to people, we don't need to answer that question because you don't know. You're not at the right level. You haven't earned your way up. We believe in salvation by faith, a gift of God that's grace. You don't earn it. You mature in faith. You don't earn new levels. Um, he was giving direction because in the church where these people were meeting, it was common practice for people to just get up and stand up in the worship time. Sometimes they were people that you knew. Sometimes they were people that you didn't know. They had just joined you, and they would regularly get up and just speak. They would speak in tongues to the group. They would prophesy to the group. They would begin teaching to the group. There was no relationship. There was no context. He's not saying that any of those things were inherently wrong, but what he was saying was all these things must be tested. Because you got up and you said it doesn't make it true. Because you got up and it looks miraculous doesn't mean it's of God. Miracles can be simulated. They can come from other places. Real experiences, that's what was happening, but they were not coming from God. The same thing is true in our world. John teaches us to evaluate experience and teaching, both word and deed. We must watch and discern to see which spirit is inspiring the activities. Over time, 
the results will always reflect the source. We're not called to be, um, we are called to be discerning, not dismissive. It's not, nothing like that can ever happen. It should never be. We're called to be discerning, evaluate. If it was not of God, we let it fall to the floor. We don't have to linger on it. We don't have to study it. If it's not from God, we let it fall from the floor. And that is part of the body's job to discern. Spiritual discernment is an obligation of the church. It's what we're called to. It's, this is where we get into problems because we have a very attendance-based culture. Church is where I attend. It's not what I actually do. It's not what I'm actually a part of. And discernment says absolutely not. Testing of the spirits is for all Christians. It is not the exclusive right of an office or a position. Although in an office or a position, there would potentially be greater frequency, greater responsibility, but never exclusive responsibility. We are the church. The church is the people of God. Together we are in community. Together we are discerning. Together we have the Spirit of God within us. Together is the way that God works. He speaks to individuals, yes, but He speaks to communities as well. We are called to be discerning, but some have been given the gift of discernment. The ability that God gives to somehow perceive issues in terms of spiritual truth, to know the fundamental source of issues, to give good judgment concerning those issues. This includes the recognition of spiritual forces working in that space. It's differentiating between what's good and what's evil, what's right and wrong. Being able to say with assurance whether be the behavior that we have seen is actually from God, made up by the person, or it's in fact satanic. So here's some symptoms of this gift. You have a keen sense for recognizing inconsistencies. You have a good grasp on spiritual truth, scriptural truth. You have a deep underlying sense of conviction that will not allow uh, people to rest until you know that that half-truth that they were given is corrected, that misapplied truth, that false teaching has been corrected. We cannot simply let those go. You have an unusual sensitivity or an intuitive grasp of people or situations. You can read it. You often notice when public, spe public speakers give wrong interpretations or misapply Scripture. You hear this frequently in people's political discourse when they bring up Scripture. Not commenting on any politician in particular. Yes, I am. Uh, you will get a glimpse of behind-the-scenes reality of what's going on. You will get a mental picture, a word, a Scripture. You will be physically uh, aware. You will be spiritually notified that something is wrong. You will either sense the presence of demons in people or in areas or in places. You might even see them. This is obviously not the same way that all people go through. In the same way we said for the gift of faith, you think all Christians should have this. Well, they don't. The discernment of spirits. Not all Christians have it. Not all Christians are able to sense these things. And so that's why we need people with the gift so badly. So here's a great example. This is uh, from a famous guy. His name is Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples, they went on uh, the way to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, 
You are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter, for the first time, confesses the truth. Jesus is not a rabbi. Jesus is not a teacher. Jesus is not a prophet. Peter nails it. And that is given to him as a gift from the Spirit as well. You're the one that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for you for hundreds of years. You are the one that was spoken of all the way back in the Old Testament, in the back, in the back, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3. You were the one that was spoken of there. And he goes on. He then began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So right when Peter gets it right, Jesus says, so now you know who I am. Let me tell you why I have come. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at him, at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is finally identified. He finally shares why he has come. He's come to die for all of us sitting here. And immediately Peter sinned. But it's not just Peter's sin. Jesus says human concerns, but also Satan is involved. And the implication of this text is that the idea that Peter had came from Satan himself. Jesus looks right through Peter, discerns that Satan is there, calls out Peter for his sin, and then says to the force, it says no to the force that was behind the statement, the source, that, the underlying message that sounded caring, that sounded loving, that sounded right, that sounded supportive and loyal. Jesus speaks to Satan and tells him to go. You're interfering with my God-given mission. You are trying to sabotage and stop me. And I reject that. That's discernment. That's what Jesus was showing in that spot. So it's the same thing as in other weeks we have said. Have you heard things that describe your experience? Do you believe that you might have the gift of faith, or the gift of discernment of spirits? Is this something that God is bringing up? You're recognizing that and saying, I have a sense that that might be true. If that's you, then we want to pray for you. Again, just like we have in these other weeks. And if you weren't here in some of the other weeks, and we covered a gift that you think is one of yours, and you weren't here for that, then we would like to pray blessing upon you and release for your gift, that you would be able to fully discern what it is, to be able to step into it boldly, and to build the church of Jesus Christ. So if this is you, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray for you together. And um, we're going to ask that God would do these things. So do you believe, have you had a sense that faith, the gift of faith is yours? If that's you, please stand up. If you believe that you have been given the gift of the discernment of spirits, please stand up. If you have the sense that tongues was your gift, please stand up. If interpretation of tongues, please stand up. If it's intercession, please stand. Prophecy, leading, pastoring, evangelism, administration, helps, mercy, giving, teaching, apostleship, exhortation. Church, you need to know each other. This is who you are. 
Our job is to call this out of other people as well, that they will be able to identify who they are and what God is calling them to do. And so pray with me, please. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the, the clarity that you are bringing. We're in pursuit of you, which means we're not done yet. We still got to figure out so how some of this stuff works. And you're speaking to us, God. And so I, I ask that your spirit would continue to do that. Take your time. You're the one in charge. We're the ones who rush. Bring forward your children. Bring forward your church and build it, Lord Jesus. I pray. Give us the character that we need to keep these gifts from running sideways and crashing the mission. Give us the gift of mutual submission, Father, I pray, that we would not see ourselves too highly or our opinions too highly. Give us the ability and the desire to serve. May the power of Jesus Christ be released upon these standing. For those that remain seated, God, I pray that you would give them a sense of where they are being called. May this again be beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. I pray that you would bring yourself honor, but that you would honor these. We pray that they would be able to use these gifts to bring glory to your name and to build your church up. We pray that you would grant us pure motives and the ability to sense when they are not pure. We ask that you would fill us again with your spirit that we might be one together and with you. Pray that you will give us places to serve that, that fit where we are. But until those places are perfect fits, give us a place to serve where we can make a difference. Bless these. Empower them. Release them and use them, I pray, for the glory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Again, we say build your church with the power that's given to each one here. Jesus, I pray that you would build the church that you have called into one. Build the church that's in Stouffville. Build the church that's in York Region, in Ontario, in Canada, and throughout the world. We believe that we have been blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Your view is always the whole world, not just us. And as we pray these things for Into One God, we also pray these things for All Nations Church in Phuket, Thailand. Bless the Burnett, Derek, and Bonnie as they lead and serve in this new international church. Raise up leaders around them. Raise up people with these gifts. We look forward to watching what you do in our midst and over there. And we look forward to telling each other the stories of your great faithfulness, your great love. Be glorified in our midst. Be lifted up for you, Jesus, our Lord of all. Grow your church. Use us. Transform us, we pray, into your likeness. And all God's people said, and so to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being with us again today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. It's better because you bring part of the Spirit of God to the rest of us. And we need that. We need you. Thank you.